You're listening to sermon audio from Ransom City Church. For more audio content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Lord, we just come before you as sinners in need of your grace. We don't have a righteousness of our own, but are clothed in the righteousness of Christ through faith in him. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that is our hope. I pray that uh, that would be uh, our one and only hope this morning and with the rest of our lives, that we'd go forward from here and remember that we have no righteousness of our own, but in Christ uh, we are made perfectly righteous uh, through his finished works on our behalf. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So to review from last week, um, to kind of set up where we're headed this morning. Last week we saw Paul uh, remind the Romans and in turn us uh, not to look down on other sinners with a proud and arrogant attitude when we are guilty of sin ourselves. That's what we saw last week. Um, The illustration we talked about, which will be an illustration we come back to again this morning, being that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You may have heard uh, that phrase before, meaning that we all stand uh, condemned in our sin. We're all guilty of condemnation. We're all guilty of hell for our sin. But we're all equally saved and forgiven in Christ through faith in him, through his death on the cross in our place. Amen? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? Um, So we're to preach the gospel with humility, as we saw last week, both inside and outside of the church, as fellow sinners deserving of hell ourselves. We shouldn't be coming from a place of arrogance or pride, knowing we're worthy of hell ourselves, guilty of sin that is worthy of hell ourselves. We're continuing a lot of the same themes this morning as we pick up in verse four. These passages are very much connected, so it's going to be a lot of the same themes this morning as we continue. So look at verse four. Paul says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, do you take the kindness and forbearance? Another word for forbearance would be restraint and patience that God is showing you in this life. Do you take that for granted as if those things are going to last forever? Not knowing that they're meant to lead you to repentance and faith in Christ while there's still time. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is getting at. Again, speaking specifically to those who continue to reject Christ in their sin, right? Do you think that just because God is showing you this kindness, this restraint, he's, he's uh, not, active, not, not pouring out the fullness of his wrath on you in this moment, that that's going to continue forever, Right? Right. Do, do, do you know that? Um, but, but that one day our time, that time that God has given us to put faith in Christ and be saved will run out when either we die or Christ returns. Time will run out on that offer of salvation through faith in Christ. Second Peter 3, 9 and 10, which is very uh, similar themes uh, for our passage this morning, says this, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, meaning Christ, the day of Christ's return, 
will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, we will all be judged, right? And either we will be found in Christ and will be saved, right? In Christ through faith in him, or we'll be found apart from Christ, having no faith in Christ, because we never put faith in him while in this life, right, during that time where that offer still stood and we will be condemned, right? There is no third option. We'll either be found in Christ and saved or apart from him and condemned. That's it. That's the only two options. And so we've used this illustration a lot as of late, but it's true. The, the, the salvation through faith in Christ is a limited time offer, right? It, it's not a forever offer. It's a limited time offer. Are we living that way is the question. That's really what Paul is driving at here. Or are you assuming that just because God is showing you kindness and forbearance, again, restraint and patience toward you and not condemning you to hell right now, are you assuming because that's true that he never will? Are you making that error, right? Because if you never use the patience that God's showing you in this life for what it's meant for, meaning to repent and believe in Christ that you'd be saved, then he will condemn you to hell if you never look to christ never put faith in him time will run out and you will be condemned so the 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 question from an application standpoint is one uh firstly are we living that way are we living that way meaning have we taken advantage of this limited time offer of salvation through faith in christ while there's still time have we taken advantage of that offer ourselves because again limited time offer right and if you haven't yet done that if you don't have saving faith in christ do so today put faith in him today or let me caution you if we don't we're playing a dangerous game of trying to beat the buzzer without having a clue how much time is left on the clock to use a basketball analogy just i'll get it it's like we have no idea how much time is left on the clock we have no idea when we're going to die we have no idea when christ is going to return amen That's a dangerous game to be playing. So look to Christ, put faith in him today while there's still time. Which is what this patience, this time that God is giving you is meant to do. It's meant to lead you to repentance. You're meant to take advantage of that opportunity, put faith in Christ that you'd be saved. So that's the first question. Firstly, are we personally living that way? Secondly, are we preaching that way? Are we preaching the gospel to those around us that way, knowing that the offer of salvation through faith in Christ is a limited time offer for those around us? Are we preaching the gospel that way? Or do we think that we have all the time in the world to do that, to preach the gospel to the people around us, that uh, the clock will never run out on that opportunity? Because that's not true, right? In in truth, we have no idea, again, when we're going to die, right? We have no idea when they're going to die. We have no idea when Christ is going to return. We should be preaching the gospel to those around us with that kind of urgency. Right, church? Amen? That's what Paul's driving at here. Are you taking for granted just because God hasn't condemned you to hell just yet in this moment that that's never going to happen if you continue to reject Christ? Because if you continue to reject him, never put faith in him, he will. Your time will run out, right? Verse five, goes on to say, 
But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. R.C. Sproul, who I'm going to quote quite a bit this morning, especially on this verse, because what he has to say in his commentary is very helpful. But he calls this verse one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And I agree with him. (laughs) When we break this down, you're going to see why. You know, here in verse five, we see the theological truth that all sinners who reject Christ, who never repent and never believe in him, will be sentenced to hell. All sinners who reject Christ will be sentenced to hell, right? Who never put faith in Christ will be sentenced to hell. But there will be varying degrees of punishment when they get there. That's the truth we're seeing in this text depending on what they've done, depending on what sins they have committed in this life. All sinners who reject Christ will be sentenced to hell, but the punishment will be to varying degrees depending on what they've done in this life when they get there. And that might be a new concept to to a lot of you. I know it was a new concept for me um, not that long ago, but here's the reality. We see this truth all over the Bible. (laughs) There's a ton of examples I could point to for this. Here's one of the most clear examples. uh, Matthew 11, 22 through 24 says this, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You are seeing this truth in this text. All sinners who reject Christ, never put faith in him, will be condemned to hell, but there will be varying degrees of punishment when they get there. This text makes no sense if that's not true, if there are not varying degrees of punishment in hell. This is what this text is getting at, right? That's one of many examples we can point to. We see this truth all over the Bible. Um, R.C. Sproul, again, I'll quote him. This is really helpful. He summarized this text well and that concept well. He said this, We have a tendency to think that uh, come the judgment day or the day of wrath, as our text says, in other words, the the final judgment when Christ returns. That's what Paul's driving at in our text. We have a tendency to think that come the judgment day, we are either in or out, innocent or guilty. But when somebody commits nine murders, they go on trial for nine counts of murder, not just one. Just so, God considers every sin we commit in thought, word, and deed. Each one is exposed to, the, to God's perfect judgment according to the truth. That's a very good summary of this verse, right? And I know that may be a hard truth, especially if you're hearing that for the first time, but here's the reality. I just want to remind you of this. This is, this is good. This doctrine is good news, This biblical truth is good news. Why? Because it displays the perfect justice of God. It displays the perfect justice of God. It displays that every unrepentant sinner will serve the just sentence for their particular sins, that no sin will go unpunished. None of it will go unpunished. That perfect justice will be served. Why? Because God is a perfectly just God. Amen? 
This is a good truth. It may be a hard truth, especially for those of us that are hearing this for the first time, but it is a good truth. It's showing the perfect justice of God. Sproul goes on to say, uh, there are various degrees of punishment in hell because hell is where God manifests his perfect justice and the punishment always fits the crime. That's a very good summary. This is good news. It shows the perfect justice of God. So what we're seeing is that as long as we remain hard-hearted and continue to reject Christ, we, we never repent and believe in him. We are adding to our sentence at the final judgment. This is what Paul is getting at here in verse five. R.C. Sproul goes on to say, in explaining our sin in relation to God's wrath, Paul uses a banking metaphor. If we begin to save our money, taking a small portion of each paycheck and putting it in the bank, we are building up slowly but surely a treasure. We are saving up for a rainy day. Just so every time we sin, we add an indictment against ourselves, treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Every day that we sin without repenting, again, without ever looking to Christ, we are depositing future wrath into the account of God's judgment. So long as our hearts remained hardened, we add to the indictment moment by moment. It's a very good summary. Now, here's the good news. Not to leave you there. The good news of the gospel is this. That account, the account of God's wrath against us is emptied, is zeroed out for all who look to Christ by faith. That's the good news of the gospel. Why? Because it was emptied that wrath that's due to us onto Christ in our place through his death on the cross for us. Amen? Another way to put this would be the account of God's wrath against us, against all who look to Christ by faith, is closed. (laughs) The account of God's wrath against us is closed for the Christian, for all who look to Christ by faith, by Christ's death on the cross in our place. Again, just to remind you, God is still just. God is still perfectly just. Justice is still served for all who put faith in Christ. It was just served on Jesus on the cross in our place instead of on us. Amen? But again, that's only true for those who look to Christ by faith. We must put faith in him while there's still time or the perfect justice of God for every one of our sins will be served on us in hell. That's the truth. Again, church, live and preach the gospel to those around you accordingly with urgency in light of that truth. But again, coupled with humility from a humble posture as a fellow sinner deserving of hell apart from Christ yourself. Amen? Verses six through eight. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. What's going on in these verses? (laughs) Um, I ask that because at first glance, these verses can be confusing. Um, at first glance, we can get confused and be like, is, is Paul preaching works righteousness here? The, the short answer is no. 
Okay, no, that would contradict the whole rest of the Bible and what Paul says himself repeatedly elsewhere in Scripture. So no, right? But what's going on in these verses? What is Paul saying? Well, there's two things of note to bear in mind that help us to understand this passage. Number one, Christ fulfills all righteousness for us that all who look to him by faith are counted as perfectly righteous because Jesus is perfectly righteous in our place, right? We are uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ through faith in him, right? He's fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf for those who put faith in Jesus, right? So in this way, Paul can say, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life because in Christ we're counted as having perfectly done that because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for us in our place. Does that make sense? So in that way, Paul can say that because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Similarly with our sin, uh, though we commit sin and do evil, right? There's no wrath for us in Christ because Jesus took all of the wrath we deserve for our sin onto himself for us in his death on the cross in our place. Again, the wrath uh, account, right? The, the, the account of God's wrath that we're due for our sin was emptied onto Jesus. So there's no wrath for the Christian, right? So God does, when you look back at this text with that in mind, God does render to each one according to his works, it's just for those who put faith in Christ, it's according to Christ's works, which are counted to us by faith. Amen? Does that make sense? So we got to bear that in mind as we look at this text, right? We have to, to, to put it bluntly, we have to bring those core gospel truths with us uh, when we look at this passage or we're going to get very confused. Right? The gospel hasn't left the room. <laughs> we need to bring all those principles with us when we look at this passage. This is just a good principle for you guys uh, that you may have heard many times, but just a reminder, some, some may be the first time hearing it. We're to interpret more difficult passages in light of clear passages. Right? In this case, in light of the crystal clear fundamental gospel principles that are all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Right. But prime example, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for example, for by grace, undeserved favor. We don't deserve it at all. We don't earn it at all. We can't earn it at all. Right. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's all over scripture, that concept. But that in particular, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that's also Paul. <laughs> So Paul can't be saying we're saved by our works, right? Right. Right. That's not what he's saying. We're saved by grace, completely undeserving of salvation in Christ. Can't earn it, right? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ and his finished works on our behalf, not our own. That's the truth of the gospel, right? So bring that with you as you look at this passage and you go, okay, that makes sense. That makes more sense to this passage. That's principle one. Principle two is this that helps us to understand this passage. If we come to true saving faith in Christ, it will impact how we live. It will bear fruit in how we live. Why? Because true faith bears fruit, as we've talked about many times as a church. It just does. True faith just does bear fruit in the life of the Christian. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Amen? Right? God makes sure that that's the case. And so if you look back at this passage through that lens, it makes more sense. Let's kind of read through it with that lens in mind, right? 
He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for good and honor and immortality. Not perfectly, but overall, that's their new goal because they belong to Jesus. That's my kind of note and commentary in there. He will give eternal life. Again, not because of their works. More notes from me, but because of what their works illustrate, which is that they have true saving faith in Christ which their changed lives are evident of, are are showing evidence for. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, those who don't care about obedience at all, they're just living for themselves, there will be wrath and fury. Again, because of what their works illustrate, which is a lack of true saving faith in Christ. And so as a result, they will have to serve their sentence themselves in hell. Does that make sense? If we look back at this text through that lens, it starts to make more sense. This is similar, to give you kind of a grid for this, uh, similar to how James uses the word justified in the book of James versus if you compare how Paul uses the word justified elsewhere um, and you think they're using it the same way, you're going to get confused. Here's what, here's what I mean. Uh, here's how James uses the word justified in the book of James. In, in James 2.24 and then verse 26, I'll just read these back to back. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh Uh-oh, I thought we just read the opposite of that, right? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Is scripture contradicting itself? No. James is just using the word justified differently than Paul's using the word justified. Here's what I mean. When James is saying what he's saying here, he's using the word justified to mean proven or shown to be right versus made right with God as the word justified is used elsewhere in scripture. Meaning faith apart from works is dead because it's showing that it's not real faith. Does that make sense? Because true faith just does bear fruit. Again, we've talked about this many times as a church, but there just is no such thing as a completely fruitless Christian. That's not a thing, right? So if there's no fruit at all, it's showing us that person's claim to have saving faith in Christ is is not true. We, We don't have the fruit that backs up that claim. So our works or lack thereof prove or show our claim to have faith in Christ to be true or false. Why? Because true faith bears fruit, right? Albeit imperfectly, we're still sinners, but again, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Amen, does that make sense? And so when James uses the word justified, he's saying um, your claim to have true faith is shown to be right in your works. And if you don't have any works to point to, if you completely lack fruit, it's showing you don't have true faith. Does that make sense? There's a similar thing going on in this text, right? Again, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. That's James's point in the text we just read, and that's Paul's point here. And at the final judgment, when Christ returns, we, we will be judged by whether we have true saving faith in Christ or not. True saving faith in Christ that will bear fruit in how we live or not. Amen? Does that make sense? Again, we'll, we'll be found either in Christ and be saved or we'll be found apart from Christ, lacking saving faith in him, and we'll be condemned, deservedly so, for our sins. Now, both of those truths that I just highlighted are true that we're made righteous in Christ, 
We're declared perfectly righteous because Christ was perfectly righteous on our behalf and his righteousness is counted to us by faith. That's true. And it's true that true faith bears fruit. True faith just does lead to a changed life. It just does because God makes sure that that's the case. Both of those things are true. And honestly, the reason I'm highlighting both is you really need both to really make sense of this passage. Does that make sense? I just wanted to highlight that so we understand what Paul's doing here. Verses 9 through 11. We'll keep going. It says there will be tribulation and distress. We're going to go through this quickly. <laughs> so I'm just going to kind of give you my notes and summarize things uh, just for the sake of time. There will be tribulation and distress. In other words, suffering, judgment, wrath, hell. For every human who does evil, who doesn't have saving faith in Christ, which shows up in how they live, right? The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace. Long story short, eternal life, just for the sake of time. For everyone who does good, who has been made righteous through faith in Christ, and that shows up in how they live. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Long story short, we will all stand before the judgment of God and will either be found in Christ through faith in him and will be saved or will be found apart from Christ, lacking saving faith in him, true saving faith that bears fruit and will be condemned. And Paul's point is that no religious background, no church attendance, no giving statement, no record of service in the church and or in our community, no likability in our neighborhood, no numbers in our bank account will exempt us from standing before the judgment of God. Why? For God shows no partiality. Another word for that, favoritism. Amen? In summary, if you're taking notes, here's the main point for this morning. Really just a restatement of what we just said. We will all stand before the judgment of God for God shows no partiality. Again, we will all stand before the judgment of God for God shows no partiality. Again, we'll, we'll be found either in Christ and we'll be saved through faith in him or we'll be found apart from Christ, lacking true saving faith in him and we'll be condemned. There is no third option. Those are the only two options. Now, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this text? Well, I wanted to funnel to this. Really, long story short, the best way to summarize this would be just reflect the heart of God. Just reflect the heart and character of God and how we live as his people. <laughs> right? Would be the, the quickest way to summarize this. But, but here, I'll put it this way. Because God shows no partiality, another word for that again, favoritism, neither should we. <laughs> Right? Because God shows no partiality or favoritism, neither should we. And so I want to leave you with, this is, this is where we'll close talking about these things. Three ways that we as the people of God, right, can show no partiality and so reflect the heart of God. Three ways that I just want to highlight that I think we can do that. That we can show no partiality. Number one, preach the same gospel to all sinners with all sin struggles indiscriminately because it's the only one that saves. Amen? Same thing we talked about last week, but this text unpacks it a little bit, e even for us, the implications of it, right? Preach the same gospel to all sinners with all sin struggles indiscriminately. 2 Peter 3, 9 
says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Church, if that's God's heart toward all sinners, it should be our heart as well. And we should live accordingly, right? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? Through, uh, sh- should be saved through repentant faith in Christ, right? We, we shouldn't, to put it bluntly, we shouldn't be picking favorites or least favorites, right? Of sinners, of sins, right? We shouldn't be picking favorites or least favorites. We should, like God, not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And we should preach the gospel accordingly, indiscriminately, again, to all sinners with all sin struggles, preaching the one true gospel of salvation through faith in Christ, the only one that saves, right? That should be our heart. And so ask yourself, church, is that true of me? Do I not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance? Is that where my heart is at, right? Or, to put it bluntly, do I have a few sinners I'd rather God didn't save? If so, we've got some repenting to do. Of pride in particular. Of forgetting that we're worthy of hell and completely undeserving of salvation ourselves, right? We got some repenting to do, if that's where we're at. Uh, go, to go back and review from last week, we're to preach the gospel with humility as fellow sinners deserving of hell ourselves. If we're struggling with humility or compassion toward all sinners with all kinds of sin struggles, what part of that equation are we not remembering? Are we forgetting, Right? The part where we're completely undeserving of salvation or the part where we're also worthy of hell of ourselves? Which part of the equation are we forgetting? Because I'm confused. I'm not sure where the pride has entered the room. Does that make sense? So one, preach the same gospel to all sinners with all sin struggles indiscriminately because it's the only one that saves. We should reflect the heart of God and not wish that any should, should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Secondly, second way we can show no partiality and so reflect the heart of God. Call all sin, all sin for what it is. Call all sin for what it is. That all sin is wrong, all sin is worthy of hell, all sin is to be repented of. Call all sin for what it is, not church, just the sins you don't like. <laughs> All sin, show no partiality as God does, right? Both with yourself, you know, I'd put it this way, don't have pet sins that you're comfortable with. That's dangerous, right? And it'll wreak havoc on your life. Don't have pet sins or minimize your sin struggles. Actively repent of wherever you fall short of the standard of God's word and invite accountability uh, from brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage and hold you to that, right? We, we should run toward uh, church community as one of the main to- tools that God uses to call us to repentance and to help us to grow in the faith and not away from church community, right? Especially church when you're struggling, especially when you're struggling. We see this all the time as pastors. I'll just put it bluntly, where people are struggling and they run away from community. It's like you're going the wrong way. You're going exactly the opposite direction. If you're struggling, especially run toward community and not away. 
right? All the more reason to go to church, to go to community group, to go to core group, right? To help you guide, uh, help guide you through this, right? Does that make sense? So both with yourself, call sin for what it is. Don't minimize your sin. Actively repent of wherever you fall short. Invite accountability. Run toward it and not away because it's helping you. It helps you to grow in the faith and with others and with others. Have, uh, we have to call all sin for what it is and we have to call all sinners to repentance and faith in Christ without partiality that they would believe in him and be saved and then continue to grow in the faith. We have to do this impartially. Show no partiality. We, we can't call sinners, church, to repentance and faith in Christ without calling sin for what it is. We just can't, right? We can't, to put it another way, preach the good news of the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, right? We can't preach the good news of the gospel without preaching the bad news about our sin and the hell that it deserves, you can't separate those things. It's a package deal. Amen? And, and, and to continue, we, we, we can't teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. We can't help fellow disciples grow in the faith without calling them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, without, calling them to con- without continuing to call them out on their sin as needed. We, we just can't. Right? It, to put it bluntly, if we're not willing to do that, we just don't love our neighbor as we ought to. We just don't. We don't care about their salvation or their sanctification, their continued growth in Christ as we ought to. Amen? It's just true. Lastly, last way we can show no partiality and so reflect the heart of God here is to live and preach in a way that reflects the truth that no sin is too big for Jesus, provided we look to him by faith that no sin is too big for Jesus, provided we look to him by faith. We should preach and live in a way as believers, as ambassadors for Christ, that shows the truth that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Again, meaning that we all stand condemned in our sin, but that all who look to Christ are equally saved and forgiven in Christ through faith in him, through his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross in our place, right? We should preach and live in a way that reflects that truth, that reflects the truth, church, that as we said last week, every sin comes out in the wash of the blood of Jesus. Are we preaching that way? That every sin, that all sin comes out in the wash and the blood of Jesus through faith in him and not just your sin. Are we preaching in an impartial way that reflects that truth? Colossians 2, 13 and 14 highlights this truth. It says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Church, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all in his death on the cross in our place. Are you living? Are you preaching the gospel to those around you in a way that reflects that truth and not playing favorites with your sin and least favorites with others, right? John 3.16, a text that we so often take for granted. I'm just gonna read it and I just want you to listen to it and be reminded of it. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, no matter what they've done, should not perish but have eternal life. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. Do we believe that, church? And do we live and do we preach in a way that reflects that truth? The truth that no one is too far gone, that no one is too big a sinner for Jesus, provided that we look to him by faith. Not me, not you, not anybody. Do we live and preach in a way that reflects that truth? Amen? Let's go forward and do that and repent together where we fall short. Look to Christ as our one and only hope of righteousness, forgiveness, salvation, and the empowerment to change as we go forward. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this reminder. I pray that we would repent where we fall short of it, where in our hearts and minds we are out of step with your heart, Lord where we are showing partiality, where we're either being too easy on our sin or, or too hard on others in a way that makes it sound like we don't have sin ourselves and aren't worthy of hell ourselves. Lord, help us to be balanced in that, to, to speak the truth, but in love, to not play favorites with sin, to call all sin for what it is, that it's all wrong, that it's all worthy of hell, that it's all to be repented of. Lord, help us to show no partiality in that way and so reflect your heart. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus where we fall short. I pray that we would remember that hope this morning, that Christ alone is our only hope of forgiveness, of righteousness, of salvation, and the empowerment to change here. Lord, help us to look to you for the strength we need to repent where we fall short here. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.